I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Farfetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. It's a big day today here for the Farfetched podcast because today, September 8th, is Star Trek Day. It was on this date back in 1966 that NBC TV aired the first episode of Star Trek. It was an episode called The Man Trap, and it featured one of the scariest aliens ever in Star Trek, the salt vampire, who Dr. McCoy um, has a thing for because it disguises itself as Dr. McCoy's old flame. It's a pretty great episode. Lots of action, lots of suspense. Great episode to start the show off on. In honor of Star Trek Day, I had all these great plans. I decided to dig through my ridiculously large collection of old fanzines from the 70s and 80s and just look up all the things, all the articles that were written about Star Trek uh, back in the day while it was on the air and after it was off the air and then as it slowly transformed into Star Trek The Motion Picture and then Star Trek The Next Generation... It turns out I have a lot of old magazines that cover Star Trek from every possible direction. So I was super excited, and I I was really excited because this gave me an, an excuse to dig out some of my old, old copies of one of the greatest fanzines of all time, in my opinion, Starlog. Starlog was a a magazine that debuted in the late 1970s, and it was like manna from heaven for me. The 1970s were such a bad, bad decade, at least the early 1970s, let me correct that. The early 1970s was really a malaise era for science fiction on TV and in movies. So to get this magazine that was very clearly targeting Trekkies because the cover of the first issue, which I have sitting right next to me, is this really beautifully done illustration of Kirk and Spock and the Starship Enterprise. So I was all excited. I was gonna I was gonna read you segments from all these articles in this first issue, which includes a full episode guide of the entire series. Of course this magazine came out I think eight or nine years after the original series left the air. That happened in 1969. Starlog appeared, like I said, I think around 1976. And it's a great issue. If you're a Trekkie, if you're a hardcore Trekkie man, look it up. There's actually a place online I discovered while prepping for this show. There's a place online where you can read all the issues of Starlog, all God knows how many there are, for free at a website called the Internet Archive. And if you want to check out Starlog, go to https colon slash slash archive dot org slash details slash Starlog magazine, all one word. It will be worth your while. If you're a science fiction geek, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll probably get a kick out of it. But back to my material for today's episode. So I was getting all excited about all this great material in old Starlog magazines and how much fun I was going to have sharing these stories. And then I started going through more of my issues of Starlog. I I have so many issues of this magazine. Um, I started looking through more and more issues in my pile and I got to, uh, the, the numbering of the magazines, they're all mixed up, then nothing's in order. 
but I finally came across Starlog episode number Starlog issue number five, and I see on the cover one of the story headlines is Star Trek censored in Texas. See page forty-two. Wow. Well, I couldn't pass that up. I went straight to page forty-two and started reading the article Star Trek censored in Texas, and I decided. This is how I'm going to observe Star Trek Day. I'm going to read from this article that shows you what a huge impact Star Trek had on popular culture, on people's opinions about diversity, on people's opinions about science. It's This article is just kind of jaw-dropping. So here goes. First of all, at the beginning of the article, there's a short editor's note. And the editor of the magazine points out that in the early days of Star Trek, the original series, back in the fall of 1966, in the early episodes of the show, the NBC network executives were concerned about Mr. Spock. They thought Spock was odd. They thought he was weird. They thought he was hard to understand. Most of all, they thought that viewers would not accept somebody so weird. So for the first few episodes of the show, the editor points out in this, in this article, for the first few episodes of the show, the directors were given a directive to keep Spock in the background. Don't let him get too close to the camera. Don't let the camera get too close to him. Keep him in the shadows. And, and, you know, the good part of that is Gene Roddenberry didn't just do what the NBC execs told him, you know. He did what he wanted. There was no way he was getting rid of Spock. Spock was, you know, so integral to the show and what the show stood for. But here's the punchline. NBC was deluged with so much fan mail praising the character of Spock and wanting to know more about Spock and wanting to get autographed photos of Spock that NBC relented. The article, the editor here in the magazine says, Roddenberry compromised by placing Spock in the background for the first few episodes. When the volume of fan mail made it clear that Spock was indeed being identified with, NBC learned to love strange. Okay, so here goes with the article Star Trek Censored in Texas by a writer named Frank Gilstrap. And I want to thank Mr. Gilstrap. This is a really great article, and it needed to be pointed out. And you will see that Mr. Gilstrap's um, approach to the material is very interesting and very welcome. So it starts out, Somehow it seems like it has all happened before. More than a decade after its controversial beginnings, Star Trek is once again involved in a censorship dispute. This time, the culprit is not NBC, but a unique Texas television station catering to born-again Christians. And here he puts quotes, quotation marks, around born-again. Mr. Gilstrap continues, Trouble began when Star Trek fans in the sprawling Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex discovered that seven key episodes had been cut from the local Star Trek rerun cycle. An investigation revealed that KXTX-TV, a Dallas UHF outlet, had been censoring the series on religious grounds. Faced with mounting protests, 
station management reviewed the offending episodes and cleared six of them for airing. At the same time, however, they reaffirmed their decision not to show And the Children Shall Lead and stirred fresh controversy with a new ban on a scene from the award-winning Menagerie. It should be noted that KXTX-TV, Channel 39, is no ordinary television station concerned only with ratings and profits. It is an affiliate of the Virginia-based Christian Broadcasting Network, a 33-station conglomerate dedicated to saving souls. Our purpose is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, says station manager director Harold Wheat. KXTX spreads the gospel through slickly produced religious programming, including on-the-air faith healing, rock-tempo gospel music, and talk shows where celebrities like Pat Boone and Charles Coulson tell what it is like to be born again. While the station does air non-religious programs, mostly syndicated reruns, they're secondary to the spreading of the word. This is my favorite quote of the whole article. Frankly, we use them as bait, says station manager Roger Bearwolf. The hope is that viewers will tune in for programs like Hogan's Heroes and hang around to hear the TV gospel. As long as such secular programming presented shows like Marcus Welby, M.D. and The Brady Bunch, the system worked fine. Star Trek, however, proved to be a problem. So there you have it. The Christian TV station was using old reruns of sitcoms and shit as bait. It's amazing that this guy actually said that, but that's the truth of the matter. All right, getting back to the article. Star Trek, as every fan knows, thrived on controversy, constantly exploring different ideas in lifestyles, social patterns, and religion. Realizing that contact with alien cultures might shatter traditional human religious convictions, the show's writers depicted the crew of the Enterprise as free-thinking men and women of science who respected the godlike creatures they often encountered but did not bow to them. Above all, Star Trek preached tolerance for the beliefs and customs of others. Faced with the narrow dogma of the sun-worshippers of bread and circuses, McCoy's characteristic reply was, We represent many beliefs. Surprisingly, it was not this liberal religious approach that caused Star Trek to come under fire at KXTX. While NBC might balk at the comments on contemporary religion, the Christians of Channel 39 were concerned with something much more basic. Specifically, they felt that in depicting things like occult forces, demonic possession, and witchcraft, certain Star Trek episodes were furthering the cause of Satan. In forbidding the showing of Where No Man Has Gone Before, Star Trek's famous second pilot episode, the censors were apparently willing to overlook the fact that Gary Mitchell, played by Gary Lockwood, calls himself a god and creates his own Garden of Eden, complete with Kefarian apples. Instead, what sent them scurrying for their book? <laughs> I, can't, I can barely read it. It's so funny. Oh, my God. Instead, what sent them scurrying for their Bibles and notepads was Mitchell's use of ESP, telekinesis, and other psionic powers to achieve his evil purposes. Such occult powers are quite real to the people at KXTX, where they are viewed as the handiwork of the devil. CBN evangelists, 
constantly rail against astrology, spiritualism, and other forms of mind control, and prove their point with biblical passages like the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, with its warning against wizards, witches, and necromancers. God is behind the forces of good, and the devil is behind the forces of evil, explains Beowulf. It's as simple as that. Christian consciousness or no, when KXTX first took Star Trek on about two years ago, it was among their top money makers. As the ratings started to fall, Star Trek was moved from its early evening time slot to 10 p.m. The official reason for the move was to protect children from any non-Christian ideas. More important, perhaps, was the desire to improve the show's rating. And I'm just going to step aside and editorialize a little. Am I the only one who senses maybe just a little whiff of hypocrisy in the fact that this station was willing to air Star Trek as long as it brought in the money, but as soon as it offended their little snowflake feelings, they had to pull the episodes off the air? This this article is just amazing. I'm having such a good time reading it. Back to the article. Demonic possession, as seen in the movie The Exorcist, also ranks high on the list of forbidden subjects and resulted in the banning of Robert Block's Wolf in the Fold. There it was not the presentation of Jack the Ripper as a hideous, incorporeal interstellar murderer that shocked the censors. Rather, it was the fact that Jack entered the bodies of others to do his dirty work. This was also the reason for banning The Lights of Zetar, in which a wandering, disembodied intelligence possesses Scotty's beloved. And return to tomorrow, where ancient entities borrow the bodies of Kirk and McCoy. Fear of outright witchcraft, it seems, lay behind the ban on Cat's Paw, another story by Robert Block. While it was only Star Trek's, quote, Halloween show, unquote, its depiction of witches, wizards, and other assorted spooks was apparently too real for the people at KXTX, as were the ritual incantations of the sorceress Nona in Private Little War. In fairness, it should be noted that these episodes were censored before Beowulf and Wheat came to Channel 39, and that they agreed to release them after viewing them in company with their station pastor. Yes, the television station had its own pastor. Back to the article. Apparently, it was felt that these six episodes were not as objectionable as some that were already being shown. Still, their decision not to allow showing of And the Children Shall Lead, together with their new prohibitions on a scene from The Menagerie, have further rankled Metroplex Star Trekkers. In ordering the Orion Slave Girl sequence cut from future local showings of The Menagerie, Beowulf voiced disapproval of its depiction of a green, half-animal temptress whose charms no man could resist. I think we're getting a glimpse into these Christian souls right there. While he does not consider himself a prude, <laughs> he t- while he... T- oh, let me try this again. While he does not consider himself a prude, he does feel that, quote, there is entirely too much of that kind of thing around today, and it should not be encouraged by a station with Christian programming, unquote. On the other hand, his decision not to show And the Children Shall Lead is based on the familiar fears of the occult and spiritual wickedness. And the Children Shall Lead is a third season remake of Miri and is not one of Star Trek's more memorable offerings. The Enterprise finds an Earth outpost where all the adults have been murdered, 
and the children are happily playing among the bodies of their parents. The explanation for all of this comes when the children use a ritual chant to summon an evil angel, played by famous lawyer Melvin Belli, the defender of Jack Ruby. Such scenes, according to Wheat, increase the, quote, likelihood that children watching the program might be led into believing they can conjure up evil spirits, unquote. While Beowulf and Wheat and the others at Channel 39 fear for the children, they are nevertheless sympathetic to the plight of local Star Trek fans and even considered a studio showing of And the Children Shall Lead for those old enough not to be corrupted by it. They see Star Trek as a symptom of a yearning for a higher explanation, an explanation which they feel they have already found. Not quite sure how to interpret that. Although Dallas-Fort Worth Star Trek fans resent the censorship, they also feel that there may be hope for Channel 39. After finally seeing And the Children Shall Lead at a recent Dallas Star Trek convention, one fan shook his head and remarked that the people at Channel 39 might understand if they would only watch Star Trek. This fan might be pleasantly surprised to learn that Star Trek is indeed being watched at Channel 39. In a recent interview printed in the Dallas Times-Herald, Mr. Beowulf even spoke approvingly of one episode he had seen. The episode was Bread and Circuses, and to no one's surprise, he identified strongly with the followers of the sun. And of course, if you remember that episode, you go through the whole episode thinking that the aliens worship the sun, their star, and in the end it's revealed that they worship the Son of God. I always felt that was one of the weirdest twists to any Star Trek uh, episode, but of course it makes perfect sense that that's the episode that Mr. Christian identifies with and is okay with. That is... (laughs) Yeah, that, that's a crazy article. Thank you again, Frank Gilstrap, for writing this. I, I, it's just a jaw-dropper. I don't know what else to say. Now, as an extra bonus, I'm going to read some of the captions that go along with the photos in the article, Star Trek Censored in Texas, because Mr. Gilstrap, the author of the article, is really, really snarky, and I think these photo captions are kind of hilarious. So first is a picture of the episode Bread and Circuses. And then below it is a picture from the episode Return to Tomorrow. So here's the caption. Top left. In addition to censoring episodes with a dangerous message, KXTX station manager Roger Beowulf singled out one episode for praise. He liked Bread and Circuses because of a group of Christian-like followers of the sun. Included in that episode was a TV game show called Name the Winner. In that scene, slaves fight to the death gladiator style as the cameras zoom in for bloody close-ups. This did not bother KXTX in the least. In fact, none of the episodes were cut on the basis of excessive violence. Bottom left, Kirk communicates with an advanced energy being encased in a sphere in Return to Tomorrow. By allowing the essence of that being to enter his mind... Kirk sinned in the eyes of KXTX. So there you go. Captain Kirk is a sinner. On the second page, there is a a photo uh, depicting the possession scene in Return to Tomorrow. And here is what Mr. Gilstrap's photo caption says. Before this possession scene in Return to Tomorrow, 
Kirk acknowledges McCoy's warning about the potential danger in contact with highly advanced life forms. Little does he suspect that the real danger will come from a group of born-again Christians. KXTX officials refused to air this episode. (laughs) I love this guy, Gilstrap, man. He is so cheeky. Okay, on the next page, they show a couple of stills from the episode Cat's Paw, which was uh, just identified in the article as Star Trek's Halloween episode. And it shows the alien witch doing some sort of incantation. And the caption says, Sylvia's voodoo model of the Enterprise almost destroyed the ship in Cat's Paw. Below, the ship is momentarily safe from harm. Although possession wasn't part of the plot, the episode was deemed too dangerous. And then the last photo in the article is that green-skinned Orion slave girl mentioned before, played by the great Susan Oliver. Trek's two-part classic The Menagerie was also the cause of some controversy. The scene with Vina as the Orion slave girl was mild by TV standards, but cut just the same. And finally, to round out our special episode on Star Trek censorship, let's look at the kind of things that Gene Roddenberry got from the NBC executives in the early days of the show. Roddenberry would receive memos from the NBC executives saying things like, Please try to find some other way for Van Gelder to subdue the crewman, since a knee in the face would be considered brutal. Yeah, I guess so. No arguments there. Or another note, please delete the underlined in Janice's speech. I'm a damned attractive female. Guess which word was underlined. Or how about this one? Since you are portraying hypnotism as a legitimate medical tool, Van Gelder should be hypnotized by Dr. McCoy rather than Mr. Spock. And they deliberately put Dr. and Mr. in italics to stress them. I was not adding that. Last but not least, this note. Keep in mind that portion of the NAB code which states the use of visual or oral effects which would shock or alarm the viewer are not permissible. (laughs) Man, they had to put up with a lot of bullshit back then. Well, I guess I'm keeping this episode short. That was kind of a fun read-through of the Star Trek censorship article. It sure gives you a whole new appreciation for Star Trek. I feel like I want to go watch all of those uh, censored episodes right now. It's just good to remember how important Star Trek is and how valuable it is and how precious it is. I know I'm repeating myself, but wow. If, you, if you're pissing people off like that, you're doing something right. And I think uh, Gene Roddenberry was very cognizant of that and, and, you know, went with it as far as he could. And we all owe him a huge, huge debt of gratitude. Well, in the next episode, I promise I will get back to the regular format of the show in which I read through some of my unsold Star Trek The Next Generation pitches. We have a few more of those to go before I start in with unsold Deep Space Nine pitches. I think that'll be fun because that's when I really started uh, selling episodes to the Star Trek guys. So, until then, this has been Far-Fetched. Thanks for listening.